Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender and music year. I'm your host, Hillary Jones. If you followed along on Instagram, you saw that the ceiling of my basement studio is being drywalled. Totally boring. Very exciting for me. This is something I wanted to do for years for a number of reasons. And, you know, both to like block the sound a bit more so I can actually play louder and actually sing down here without being embarrassed. <laughs> like I'm singing to the entire house. And, you know, I, you know, I also would like to be able to eventually be able to have like a full band practice down here. That would be nice. It actually will look nicer. Not that you see the ceiling, but if I do a video call down here or something, um, sometimes it can show up. So, and I have to look at it. So there's that. So a number of reasons I'm doing that. It's a big deal, but I am literally standing in like drywall dust and screws and stuff right now. So <laughs> it's a mess. Um, yeah, we'll see. All my stuff's all over the house. My office stuff is in different places. My music gear is in another place. Uh, yeah, I cannot wait for it to be done for a number of reasons, but uh, I think it's going to be real great when I'm done, which is great. And I'm also going to be selling my elliptical machine so I can get it out of here and have a little more space for the for this. So yeah, good, good news for me. Boring for you. Sorry, team. Uh, but that's my news. So there you go. Uh, I'll add that I'm taking the next episode off during the holidays as my kid is going to be home and I won't have time to edit, but I do want to just say that I am so grateful to all of you for listening and, you know, following along on Instagram or wherever you follow. This podcast started right before the pandemic hit and I really can't imagine like not having this space to talk with, you know, all of my amazing guests, having conversations with you all online since it started. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope that you and the folks you love are well as we head into 2022 in this weird dystopia that we live in. <laughs> I really, I really, really do truly appreciate you and your support. You're the best. Thank you. So Today's guest is Lisa Mahach, who is founder of OmniSound Project, who provide audio and production training for folks of all genders with uh, their specific focus uh, is on creating supportive environments for those with marginalized genders. And we'll get into more about their programs and what they do exactly. But their focus is really on making the entry point to audio engineering, you know, as easy as possible. You'll hear about how she started down this path, which is also a fun story in and of itself. And uh, then you can stick around after our interview where I We'll talk about niceness and discomfort and generally people, I don't know, having some feelings about me actually being nice and thinking I'm supposed to be a jerk. So there's that. All right. <laughs> so first, let's hear about this episode's fabulous sponsors. So I recently got both the Earthquaker devices, Hisamitas and Plumes. They are a ton of fun. Uh, I cannot reinforce just how many sounds you can get out of the Hisamitas with just, you know, an adjustment of the tone knob. It's wild. It can go all over the place, really. It's just, it's great. And if you're looking for fuzz, I would really, really, really recommend it. Obviously, Earthquake has a trillion fuzzes, but, uh, you know, this one's got rabbits. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I also recently thought I'd give the plumes a spin, which is weird because I've played the Palisades really forever, like I don't know, seven years, something, a long, long time, and was torn between the plumes and the dunes to see if I could like replicate that sound in a smaller box. And it doesn't, like I couldn't, whatever particular settings I have, it's not exactly the same, but it's so, so close. 
Um, and it just, it really does sound really great. And I think pretty much anybody could benefit from it. Um, yeah, I recently joined the Earthquaker Facebook group and I love hearing about all the different ways that people are using the plumes and the hisamitas and like there are a bajillion, bajillion other petals. People are way into it on that, on that, uh, group. It's fascinating. Um, and I'll also say that, you know, they all really play well together, which is not the case for all petals. I feel like putting the plumes before things, or the palisades or whatever before or after it's it's really useful for like just slightly adjusting your tone in a way that's cool i like a lot of gain stages so it's useful for me there you go good times great oldies check out earthquakerdevices.com for more up next we have stompbox sonic stompbox sonic provides musicians with an extensive tonal palette for auditory exploration specializing in effects pedals they offer a curated collection of companies large and small some locally crafted some assembled from around the world Adam and Jen have been helping musicians and sound-based artists find their sound since 2009. By working collaboratively through one-on-one -on -one consultations, they do more than sell you a pedal. They ignite the creative spark to bring your music to life. They create a comfortable, judgment-free environment for all musicians where sonic experimentation is encouraged. And whether you play guitar, bass, trumpet, harp, roads, circuit bend, speak and spell, Stompbox Sonic will work with you to find the right effects to fit your project. So definitely check them out. They're the best. Stompboxonic.com for more. Last but not least, Holcomb Guitars. Nick and I spent some quality time together this week as you pop by to uh, grab a couple of my guitars that are going to have some slight adjustments to them. Um, I'm hopefully going to add a, a big speed to one of my guitars, maybe do some pickup swapping. Another one just needed a brief setup, but he came literally to my house, just came to my house and... <laughs> I don't have to do anything. Um, it's really cool. So uh, I highly recommend checking out everything that Nick is doing. He's got some good stuff up on his Instagram as well. Um, and yeah, just uh, just check him out. Get a custom guitar. Get a custom bass. It'll be beautiful. It, do what feels right. I, and I think what feels right is probably checking out HolcombGuitars.com or following him on Instagram at HolcombGuitars. All right, with that... Let's get into my interview with Lisa. Lisa, welcome to Midriff. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yay. Thanks so much for being here. So can you introduce yourself, your name, pronouns, and a little bit about yourself and your background with music? Yeah. Uh, my name is Lisa Mahach. Uh, she, her, or they, whatever you want to Say. And I'm director of Omni Sound Project, an educational community for uh, marginalized gender in audio engineering. And my background as a musician is uh, as a mandolin and guitar player in an all-girl country band here in Austin, Texas uh, for 15 years and now working on my own solo recordings. And during lockdown, picked up the piano and the bass. So, Oh, dang. <laughs> really enjoyed Wow. That. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So have you been able to kind of like do any recording with, yeah, um, you're, you're doing it. all of it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't play with anybody else anymore. I'd like to, but you know, during lockdown we didn't. And then <laughs> my bandmates have children now. So like it's yeah. that, that part of life is over. And yeah, so I'm kind of just recording now on my own, but I love collaborating. It's my favorite. So I'm always looking for more of that. Yeah. The pandemic is like, do we need people? I don't know. <laughs> I do. I know. I feel the same way. I've been like sitting in my basement, crying myself to sleep, uh, <laughs> wanting to play with more people. I didn't so, realize yeah. how social I was till the pandemic, you know, because I oh, think of myself as an introvert. But then 
during the mm. pandemic, I was like, I am an introvert, but I'm a very, very social introvert. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've learned a lot about ourselves yes. here, haven't we? Uh-huh. Yeah. So when, how old were you when you started playing? I guess in my late teens, early twenties, probably. Um, when mm-hmm. I really remember picking it up in earnest was after my father passed away and I'd moved home and was living in my childhood home by myself. And my friend, my cousin had given me this like guitar that she bought in Mexico, like a acoustic um, nylon string guitar with these like white stenciled roses all over oh, it. Oh, wow. And, um, and then my friend who was living in that area, he would come over and we'd like just sit around and drink whiskey and play, you know, Towns Van Sant covers. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of when I got like more serious about it. And uh, did you sort of like pick up the mandolin after that? Or was that like... Yeah, I um, started playing music with my two uh, friends in Austin that became my band, and we all played guitar. And so Mm. it was decided that somebody needed to pick a different instrument. And so I just (laughs) went to the music store and asked what the cheapest instrument that wasn't a guitar was. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how I started playing the mandolin. It's not my favorite. Like I actually really don't like playing the mandolin. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. like the sound very much and I really don't like playing it at home alone because it's so loud. Um, and so I'm actually kind of relieved. Like I never played it particularly well. And so during the pandemic, it's been in the case for like two years. I haven't played it. You just retired. So. Yeah, yeah I'm kind of done. We're but, done, little buddy. Yeah, little Go to Ma- sleep. Mighty Tiny. That's her name. Oh <laughs> my God, that's adorable. <laughs> in my mind, like your bandmates who are like on like some sort of like game show and you had one of those like spinny wheels with different instruments on it and yeah. you just spun it and it landed uh-huh. on mandolin. Yes. Yeah. Pretty much. How it was the economic uh, spinning wheel. Exactly. It's it's, uh, this was $95. I'll take it. Sold. Uh, That's amazing. So what's, what's your main setup now? So what instruments, what are you kind of like go to now? I have the gorgeous bass that you see behind me. Yeah. It's it's, so beautiful. My friend loaned. Is that a semi hollow? I can't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, uh, my friend who is one of my biggest music geek and audio buddies, he, loaned me that one week before lockdown. So now I just mm-hmm. call it mine. He also mm-hmm. loaned me a Les Paul Gibson <laughs> uh, that I broke like immediately. <laughs> and so that one's mine now too. And then I have a, I had a, I have a synth or two, but like I got, I got really sick of setting them up. And so I bought a Casio 88 key Casio tone for a hundred bucks. Mm, and I play yep. that all the time. I love it. Casio can so really go much. so far. Yeah. yeah. I love it. <laughs> They're, I love them. They're yeah. great. I just was like, I just don't need to like set stuff up all the time. And the MIDI's too Mm-mm. small. And I just, I just bought it on a whim. And now I play it like on the daily. And then I have my favorite acoustic these days again to, I bought it to practice with. And now it's all I play is this hundred dollar oh, yeah. uh, half size Yamaha. Yeah. I was like, is that a Yamaha? That's yeah. uh, perfect. And yep. I, it's gorgeous. It's actually got a really pretty sound. Every time people come over to play music, they wind up playing that one. So yeah. Yeah. For, so for how, so how did you then get into audio? Can you tell folks a little bit about that process? Yeah. Like getting in? Yeah. 2010, I wanted to record a little more and I came up with this crazy idea to like record an album out of like a mobile rig because I have friends all over the country and back then people weren't really recording remotely so easily and so I was like man I I have all these songs I want to record but everybody's all over the place and so I bought this um meat 
locker refrigerator that went on the back of my truck. It's like insulated. I actually bought it from, I went and saw Buck Meek last night. Have you heard of him? Yeah. I mm-hmm. saw him last night at, in concert and was reminded I bought it from him or his brother. Back oh in my the gosh. Early days. Um, <laughs> I can't remember which one. And I, it, uh, it was insulated and I rigged it out and put in like a little set of drawers and a bed table and stuff like that. And took my MacBook, a USB mic. Can't remember source. I can't, honestly can't remember what mic it was. I still have it somewhere and a really nice mic stand and some nice headphones. And then just from the same friend who gave me the bass. And mm-hmm. I also broke that mic stand. So, um, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, not, I don't want the best record with him. <laughs> and yeah, I took off around the country, did like a little Kickstarter and got some money and did 10 songs in 17 states with 35 musicians. And it was That's wild, so fun and so poorly recorded that when <laughs> I went to mix it, I was like, ah, I should have like learned a thing or two about capturing signal because I just thought, Oh, I'll just get it. And then I can edit it, you know, mm, fix it in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then when it came time to mix, it was like, Oh man, this is really, really bad. You know, I should have, should have learned, <laughs> learned it the other way around. So, um, you know, it's out there. It's not real. I don't share it with people because it is really poor quality, but long story short, that's when I realized like I needed to learn more about the actual capturing sound thing. Um, I love that story so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I moved to San Francisco where they're lucky enough to have the women's audio mission and mm-hmm. took some classes out there. And that was the first place I'd ever learned audio period, but also being like in a male dominant, dominant industry, the, the music scene here in Austin is like disgustingly machismo. And mm. so like, I'm used to fighting with guys all the time about <laughs> If, you know, equality. And so all of a sudden I was in this audio, like recording studio with all women and non-binary folks. And it was just such a different atmosphere. And mm-hmm. I learned so much more because they weren't all, um, talking all the time about how much they knew and they mm-hmm. let the teacher teach us what they knew. And we learned, 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 and it was so fun. And so I wanted to start something like that in Austin. So I did. Poof. Look at that. <laughs> Boom. That's awesome. I love that you, because I, I think I, I listened to another podcast of you talking about some of this, like, so it sounds like you kind of wanted to have it in Austin and mm-hmm. you're like, wham, how about Austin or how about doing this other places? And they're like, nope. Yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I don't know that they would even remember that, but I sent them an email mm-hmm. every two two years or so. And I'd be like, hey, you ready now? Because they used to do like, how about um, now? <laughs> yeah, because they were doing like WhamCon in yeah. Nashville and New York. And so I was originally just trying to get them to do something like that in Austin. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that they do, they used to do those like piggybacking on like the AES show or the NAM show. And so mm-hmm. we don't have anything like that in Austin, but yeah, they, they really were like, Oh, we're very focused on Bay area. And they are, I mean, even now they're back to in-person like they, they, yeah. they did a lot of online stuff over during lockdown, but now I've noticed they've like really gone back to being like a local organization. So mm-hmm. that is their mm-hmm. deal, you know? Yeah. And we, totally. on the other hand had, four in-person classes and then went online and we're never going back because now we have people from all over the world. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's an interesting time to sort of like be starting something up, but I Mm -hmm. think allows you to quickly learn and adapt as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So can you talk a little bit about what types of classes you generally offer and like who they're for? Yeah, yeah. Um, we have intro classes that are just like for anybody like who, who does not know anything about audio or maybe, you know, something about one area of audio, but not another. And so this is your first entree into that field. Um, so can you give some an example of like some of those intro classes for folks who might? Yeah, yeah. So at this point, we've had um, like 50 classes. Um, mm-hmm. and so I would like you to name everyone. I <laughs> know. I'm like, so just off the top of your head. Hard to remember. <laughs> um, we had intro to plugins last year it was super popular mm-hmm. intro to mic placement. Um, we've done like intro to, uh, onset recording broadcasting. And so like we try to, the intro classes, we kind of try to make them like really varied, and then I just was, I guess I was curious how specific it was. And that seems fairly specific. Yeah, pretty so. specific. That's cool. Yeah, we, we yeah. do one engineering 101 a year. Mm-hmm. That's just like yep. a broad overview Broader. for brand new people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other type of educational programs we offer are workshops because we do have so many people that are a little more advanced that want to go deeper. And so we do a yep. three hour workshop and those are really fun because they're collaborative um, and cool. the attendance is capped. So like intro classes, everybody can come. We keep the chat closed. It's like a very much like a presentation with a Q and a following, but yeah. the, um, workshops are like three hours of everybody asking questions the whole time. And then it ends in a project. So like we had a sound design, um, workshop where we actually created a soundtrack, um, to a film oh, wow. queue together. And then we've had creating an audio drama where we literally made like a podcast episode together. And so, Mm. yeah, so it's really fun to have those be more hands-on. And then what's exciting about 2022 is now we've developed so many partnerships with these really awesome organizations and corporate entities that now we're offering the intro classes for free in 2022. That's awesome. Yes. That's a big deal. That's really cool. So those are your sort of like, you know, how, how often do you offer those? Like what's the schedule generally like for folks? It has changed over the years. We're entering into our third year. Um, mm-hmm. And so I feel like I've kind of hit a formula now. You never know if it's going to be that way for 2023. But for mm-hmm. 2022, we'll be doing one a, a month. We'll be doing intro class okay. and then a workshop the next month. And then we will do free week again, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. And then signal gain again. Cool. And our four yeah. track challenge. So those are interspersed Ooh. throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Cool. What's the four track challenge? Um, we send, I send out like four tracks, four prompts for four different tracks of a song. It's usually somebody in the Omni community will, I'll pay them to share their, their stems with us Mm -hmm. and we'll send out the song and then I'll say, okay, using this plugin, you know, apply reverb to the vocals or apply Mm -hmm. panning to, you know, the piano or whatever. And, um, we work it's, we always have a, a corporate sponsor and we work with them to develop the prompts based on like whatever uh, freebie they're giving away. So we've right. gotten like free plugins from Good Hertz and Focusrite Pro and yeah, it's really, really fun. And then the people, awesome. the participants, we do like a hear and tell where they, we come to zoom and they've submitted their mixes and I let them talk about like, I'll play their mix and then let them tell about what they did. And it's really fun. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. So so the signal gain then, now that we've had the introduction yeah. <laughs> to what it is that you're all doing, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's our annual conference. Again, was intended to be in person in Austin. Um, and then we decided to do it online for the first year. And it went so well, we did it online again this last year. It's basically like, I think the thing that sets Omni apart, and I think if you talk to anybody, any of our teachers or community members, students, um, we're really 
like a social group, mm-hmm. you know, like people come and they just keep coming. Like they're, they're, we have so many people that are at every single event and they get to know each other. We have a discord channel where people chat and help each other and mm-hmm. share resources. And, um, it just feels really genuine, which is amazing for like it being on zoom, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we, at signal gain, it's a mix. We, we have three sessions that are kind of like our intro class format where it's a presentation mm-hmm. followed by Q and a, but then we also have like speed sessions in between. We did pre-recorded mini classes that we filmed out at Rupert Neve designs this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, shared those in between the classes. And then we also just do like silly like community building things in between yeah. and like omni trivia or we, we we just have a lot of teachers who are like really involved and and love coming up with stuff like that so one of them this year she came up with some games and stuff to play in between the sessions and so it just feels like it doesn't i've gone to things before where it feels like you're just literally like sitting there for five hours you're like why did yeah. i do that why I'm like did I putting do- all of, like the information is being pushed into your head yeah. like, and you, that's you're it like yeah. why did I, why did i sign up for this i just i could have mm-hmm. watched youtube or whatever but this mm-hmm. signal gain is very interactive and super mm-hmm. fun and by the end of the day everybody's just like it feels like we got to hang out all day and someday we will <laughs> again <laughs> in person but at this point we have so many people in the uk and the in the eu that to tune in and even India and South America now and mm-hmm. South Africa now. I mean, we just have people everywhere. And so we have to keep it online, but we'll do, we'll do some version of it in person at some point too. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's interesting. Cause that was one of the things I was thinking about because you're talking like in the other interview that I was listening to it, you were talking about the community piece of this. And you also talked about your experience with event creation mm-hmm. and like, coming from like you were in a sorority, for example, (laughs) like that's so fascinating to me as like a jumping off point for for starting this type of project. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I just grew up like in a small Texas town and was like on the drill team and went to Mm -hmm. a school where sororities were really big and was in a sorority and then, you know, kind of was a little divergent in my life after that. But have that at my core that's so like you know i can't i'm not coming to your house without making you some crafty little gift or like bringing you a (laughs) bottle of wine or something like that you know or like Uh just very like i'm gonna decorate something with your name on it and glitter Mm -hmm. probably there'll probably be glitter involved (laughs) um it's just in there and so um that led into event planning and that personality those personality traits led me to do yeah. event planning over the years. And it just seemed like everything I got into, even if it was music or, you know, I taught yoga for a while, but it always turned into events. It always turned yep. into like doing something that required a lot of planning, a lot of details, and I just like that stuff. So, um, yeah, so that's what I consider myself with Omni's, the event planner. That's so fascinating. I think the other piece of that too, and I'm not somebody, I don't really know that much. Like I don't have a lot of personal experience with sororities, but I feel like people oftentimes think of them as not being super inclusive, No, they but aren't. it seems like the space that you're creating with Omni is inclusive. So what are you pulling from the sorority stuff that's useful, but also like doing differently? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I read a lot about like, um, just forming groups in general mm-hmm. and I, I love, I love this. Forming, storming, book. norming, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I just read a book about cults, actually, that like, ooh, ju- like does ooh. mention sororities in it. Um, oh my God. And like, I want to know all about this It's book. a great book. I'll, I'll send it to you, but I don't Please remember do. the name of it. I think it's just called Cultish or something. Um, mm. 
but they the other book I love is called The Art of Gathering by right. Priya, Priya Parker. Parker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one thing that has always really frustrated me and my group of friends being a little bit more of like the type A sorority girl and being around a lot of like musicians and and kind of more relaxed individuals is that they don't really like parameters put on things. And I, mm-hmm. I really do. Um, and I think it does make a better event. And that's what I love about the art of gathering. And she talks a lot yeah. about how like the best parties and the best events, like actually give you some parameters and guidelines and totally. like some rules to follow, mm-hmm. but, but more to enhance the connection than to be like, you know, ruining everyone's fun. And if you're interested, I mean, people are interested. I could talk about that all day. Like, it's so interesting to me, but I, I would of, actually love you to expand on that a little bit. Oh, okay. If you could. Well, yeah. so they, so like, I think a lot about my friends, if anyone listens to this will recognize what's coming. Um, I really hate potlucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I really hate pot. I think it's so insane to like, what do you hate about it? Well, first of all, you're inviting people to a party don't ask people to bring the stuff to the party. That's crazy. Um, Uh or, you know, if it's just a casual Friday night with your friends, that makes sense. But like, you know, if you're, if you can't afford to serve everyone food, just be like, Hey, it's just beer and wine and snacks or whatever eat before you come. Like, it's just really strange to, to me to ask people to bring things something you're hosting. There are exceptions for that. Like I've been to some weddings that were potluck that were like very sweet because it was like the community was bringing stuff. And I I love Mm -hmm. that kind of feel, but just for like a general party, it's very strange. And so I like, you know, if you're going to do something like that, an example would be like, have a theme. Okay. We're, I can't afford to feed everybody. (laughs) And so we're going to assign dishes to people or we're going to make it a progressive Mm -hmm. dinner where we move from house to house or bar to bar Mm -hmm. or whatever, like Mm -hmm. just making something more cohesive than just like this big chaotic, messy party (laughs) that everybody. The structure can be helpful. Yeah. 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 And so like, as it applies to Omni, like we just do a lot of little things throughout like recently we started asking people to like rename themselves on zoom according to like whether they'd been to an omni class or if they're new. Mm, um, mm-hmm. a lot of times we'll like match people up before a class or before a member event and like get them to like hang out on zoom beforehand and learn a little bit about each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and just again with like the, the ice breaking games or things like that, just doing things that really like intentionally build a connection. Totally. In response to the inclusiveness, yeah, sororities are for sure not inclusive. They're like really pl- problematic in a lot of ways. But at the same time, the thing that's really nice about them, if you can set aside the problems, which, you know, I, I couldn't, I actually left the sorority after a couple of years, but um, the things that I did love were that when you were in the in-group, you were really, really in the in-group, you know, it mm-hmm. wasn't like it, there was no, in my sorority, there wasn't any like infighting or yeah, there wasn't even fighting with other sororities. It was just everybody, you know, you had your friends and you kind of had people who had your back and it was really, really nice. And so that's what I like. Like you to... built the trust within that, yeah. that particular group. Yeah. yeah. And then that, I mean, you can criticize that and say, oh, that trust was built because of money or whatever, but mm. or race or status or whatever these t- things are that are used to separate people. But also there was just a lot of common thread. Like I'm still friends with a lot of those women and we still have a lot in common and I really mm-hmm. like them. Um, there's Mm -hmm. also something to building relationships with the people that you're kind of thrown in with, you know, like Mm -hmm. that I could have landed in any sorority and wound up with those experiences. So, so with Omni, it's kind of like, 
everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. The membership is for people who identify themselves as marginalized genders, but you know, we, we do get thrown in with people we don't have a lot in common with. And, and, but because we act kind of more like a social group, there's just an include, there's an inclusiveness that comes from almost like forming an intentional group that wouldn't be there if it was just like people showing up to a class. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you're kind of modeling the expectations of the group as, as like bringing people in Mm -hmm. and getting to know them and creating a space where people can be vulnerable. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. I also saw that your, uh, your undergrad is in recreation parks and tourism Mm -hmm. sciences, Mm -hmm. which also feels relevant. Yeah. I don't know if it is, but like, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, that all it all seems connected, which is great. It is. So as far as your own experiences around like gender identities, gear, that kind of thing, like, can you talk a little bit about that for you? Yeah. Gender identity wise, I've never really thought much about it because I'm of the Gen X age or gender, gender sort of like uh, any identities or not just as okay. gender identity, but like gender broadly identities, broad, which other whatever other Well, I feel passionately about gender. It was a liability in the music scene in the 90s and 2000s, um, raging, horrible sexism, even from guys who think they're progressive or allies. And um, it's continuing. Audio guys seem to be like so much more open. I have no idea why, but every Hmm. single I haven't I've run into one dude in audio who gaslit me and told me that the problem I was addressing wasn't a problem. Every other man I talked to says, yes, we want more women in audio. How do we do it? And some of them aren't great at doing it. Some of them need like repeated reminders, but they're really open and they're really trying. Conversely here in Austin in 2021, we have some um, really outrageously sexist venues that, just refuse to admit that booking one woman a month is like a problem. Seems fine. Yeah. We, we have a lot of really great venue, like cheer up Charlie's. That's like totally mm-hmm. amazing and inclusive and like works really, really, really hard to like diversify their bill and their type of music. But specifically in the country scene, no surprise, there's some real bigots and that's just depressing. Like it's, it's like when I leave Austin, I'm like, and y'all got to get with the program. There's one in particular I'm <laughs> literally having like an Instagram battle with right now. Oh, geez. That just released their 10 year anniversary lineup and have about 50 bands and three bands Ooh. have women in the band. In them, right. Only two are female fronted. And they just will not admit when messaged or called on it, they just continually tell us how hard they try to book women and we're like Uh well then you're really 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 bad at your job you know (laughs) like if that's you trying Uh that's super sad like Mm -hmm. dude you need a different job right um so it's it still irks me to this day and i i actually am so glad i'm in audio and not music not i feel so sorry for my female friends who are trying to make a living as live musicians in this town it's really bad yeah so yeah, I have uh, a lot of thoughts on gender. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you caught me in a, like a really mad phase too. Like I'm That's... generally one of those people who's very much very patient and takes the long view and is like, it just takes conversation and bridge building and like explaining to people and they have good intentions. And right now I'm just like, I am so irritated with this place in Austin that I'm just in a bad mood about it. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it, <laughs> I think that it's hard when you see someone and they're like, but we're trying. And they're like, do you know? Have you like what does trying look like for you? Tell us what you've done. You know, Worse like that's than, but we're trying. It's you are wrong. We have tried. <laughs> I could tell you all the ways I've tried, but I'm not going to. Okay. I mean, I, I go follow me on Instagram. I posted the conversation I had with the dude because he had wow. he had it as a representative of his business. So I feel like it was a public conversation. Yeah. And um, it's not on the Omni account. It's on my personal yeah. account. Yeah. But like I said, thank God with Omni, every single sponsor we've ever worked with, not only wants more women in audio, but goes out of their way to try to make it happen, repeatedly mm -hmm. approaches us about anything they've got going on and involving our community. They'll send me like... I kind of made a rule after the first couple of events, like we play a video of their, theirs at the beginning of our classes. And I yeah. was like, Hey man, you got to send me videos that have women in them. You know, like you can't, yeah. you can't send me a video with like all dudes. <laughs> it doesn't here. work. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so they do, they like sit there and make, if they don't already have it, they'll make a new piece of marketing that includes other genders. And then hopefully that gets their wheels turning to like, just do that as a practice in their general mm -hmm. marketing. Um, and we have like real conversations about how they can be more um, welcoming That's to awesome. other genders. So I'm super lucky. It's the total flip side of the coin with the, the music scene here. Yeah. Like I'm wondering how, because you said in audio, you've had generally better experiences as far as like actually acquiring gear. We didn't talk about what you specifically use for recording stuff, but I yeah. guess as far as like acquiring gear generally, have you had any particular particularly bad or good experiences with that? No, I'm not a gearhead. I just have a MIDI controller, a yeah. couple of like dynamic mics and a Focusrite Scarlet. Like that's it. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not, it's, I definitely see myself as more a musician than an audio person. So yeah, my concern is like, we have sponsors who like give away gear. And so I like getting the, that stuff into the hands of the Omni community and seeing what they think of it. We have a lot of yeah. people who do gear reviews and things like that. Um, but we, I think we're a little more focused on the in the box stuff, um, the mm. mixing and mastering mm -hmm. side of things than we are and like the production and writing than we are like yeah. capturing signal. I think yeah. I kind of identified early on, like wham is pretty much the best at doing that part. And so rather than try to do stuff that they're already doing, let's try to focus on a different aspect. So, yeah, no, that's cool. That makes a ton of sense. So I think we focus a little more on like DAWs and plugins and software than the hardware right. And the gear. Right. And like in doing that, is that I'm assuming you're the process of like relaying that. I don't know if there's like particular things that you've seen as barriers for the students you work with, with regard to like interacting with the software or, or like getting into audio more broadly. Are there gener general, you know, barriers that you've seen folks come to you with? Yeah. I mean, this probably isn't gender specific, but like the Omni community in particular talks a lot about what things are named. We're all mm -hmm. like, in, we, everybody's got a Scarlet on their, on their desk and everybody's got an Edwin, mic or a air trumpet mic. And mm -hmm. because they're named Myrtle, Edwin, like it's so like, I have a Casio tone. I didn't buy a, you know, something with like five letters followed by six numbers as uh -huh. the model name, you know, uh -huh. um, we love the, 
We love the Shelford it, from Rupert Neve. You know what I mean? Like we like mm-hmm. things with names, like actual right. names. Not numbers. Yeah, like not, yep. not just serial numbers. And I think that's yep. something that we spend some time talking about. We, we get to do some like product surveys for different entities. And that's something that comes up time and time again is like, yeah, we're just really into the stuff that kind of like is a little sleeker and nicer and, and more like you can talk about a little more organically rather than just sounding mm. like a person who's like, well, I have the, da, 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 you know, <laughs> it's just, it's more like a weird robot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like a weird mm. robot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, so, ha- so you're creating these spaces at Omni using some of the things that you've learned around event planning. And has, how would you ask someone in the gear community to translate some of that stuff? Like Mm. if you're a business owner or something, like let's say you own a music store or you own a studio or a venue, like Mm -hmm. what kind of things would you want to see them starting to do? I mean, I don't, I don't really tell them what to do. I mean, I guess the thing that baffles me is when people try to include people without asking them directly what they want. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so there's a group that I've worked with in the past and they have a, like a diversity and inclusion board and everybody on the diversity and inclusion board is like a white man. And they've assigned all these committee heads that aren't white men, but they all are. So then the mm-hmm. committee heads are like working at their respective jobs, but then they're reporting back to this team of people who that has the final say of like what they're getting, how they're steering the the future of that company. And yeah. so I think that's a strange, a strange way to go about it. Um, so yeah, I think that'd be my only real key, kind of like this guy at the venue that won't <laughs> that was my follow-up like <laughs> yeah well and I told him I said you know the appropriate response was yes we want more women what do we do I, I'm happy right. to educate you I don't I'm not one of these people that thinks it's up to you to come out of the womb knowing how to treat everybody I think it's up mm-hmm. to me to tell you how to treat me and how I I insist upon being treated if we're going to enter into a relationship of any kind. That's not a problem to me. So like, it is weird when people won't enter into that conversation. Like they're just, Mm -hmm. they're like, well, we here, we're just going to tell you everything we do. And we're not going to ask you what you think. All you have to do, all he ever had to do was respond and be like, oh man, yeah. What should we do? And I, what would you have told him? I would have told him to contact the guys on this lineup and asked for some of them to volunteer to give up their spots to female bands. Every single band on this lineup. I know I keep going on about this topic, but I'm mad. I'm glad, I'm glad it's something you're fired (laughs) up about. Let's get in there. Every single band on there. I know all the guys and they're constantly posting on their social media, how they're allies of feminism constantly. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. uh, if they are, then they give up that slot and give it to a woman. That's, I mean, I would do that for somebody who wasn't a white woman. If I was on that Mm -hmm. lineup and people got called out and being a white woman, I'd give up my spot. So like, I just think I understand it's their livelihood. It's the way they make a living, but also this is like a high profile event that they've been called. People have been called out on at that point. You're, you're an accomplice. Yeah. You got, you, you got work to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. 
so what what DAW, what DAW, this is, I feel like we're jumping around a little bit, but what, what DAW do you personally use? Logic. Out of curiosity. Logic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you worked in a lot of other ones or how did you yeah, land on that? Um, I can use Pro Tools. I landed in it because I used GarageBand as a new engineer mm-hmm. and it just, I like Mac, Pro, I just like Apple products. They work yeah. with my brain. Um, I did open Ableton like twice <laughs> <laughs> and like... Yeah. It's really weird. The way, what happens in my brain, like the neural pathways that light up when I'm trying to use Ableton, just for me, it's kind of like going back to using a PC after you've used a Mac for a long time. It's just like, man, I just do not have time to like rewire my brain. Relearn to, this whole thing. Yeah. Cause it's, it's yeah. spatially laid out completely differently. Um, and so I just decided I did a lot of research before I like really dug into one DAW and I was going back and forth between Pro Tools and Logic just being as the kind of more the industry standards. And I just was like, I literally, I'm not an engineer. I don't need to know Pro Tools. I mean, Logic, (laughs) Logic does everything you need as a musician. And then if I need to get those stems to somebody and they do something with them and Pro Tools have at it, but like, I don't professionally need, need to know Pro Tools. So you said you use plugins a lot. Are there particular ones that you're real psyched on or like ones that you use a lot? Yeah, I again, I really like the simple ones just because I am more of a novice and or not simple, but user friendly, let's say. Yeah, I love Baby Audio. They just make the most fun plugins ever. They're really affordable. They let you do trials and they're just super creative and different. And they're really usually pretty limited, like to like one feet or like one um enhancement, you know, and then just like a million things you can do with that enhancement. Um, good hurts also has some really fun ones. And then we got to use the, um, focus, right. The, there's a brainworks plugin that emulates a analog channel strip by focus, right. I think actually, I think it's modeled on a console they made, but that one was super fun because it was kind of like using an actual physical mixing board. That's cool. Yeah. I, I'm fairly new to recording myself. Like mm-hmm. I just kind of picked it up over like the last year plus, like since I started the podcast, basically, cool. <laughs> even though I've been a musician forever. Uh, and so like I I haven't really gotten into plugins too much. So it's like a fascinating thing for me. That's like a different space of opportunity. I definitely um, recommend starting with Baby Audio and Good Hurts. Okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I will investigate. Cool. I know for a lot of folks the audio piece can be intimidating, you know, coming into that and like looking at a DAW and seeing like all of the like, you know, the the layout, all the different options. What do you tell folks who come to you who maybe are a little bit like anxious or overwhelmed? Well, I mean, first of all, remember, I'm not the teacher, right? So like I hire teachers. Right. Um, and so I definitely, I, I kind of, I think I gain people's trust a lot because I am also a novice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I share that with people who might be feeling anxious. Like, you know, I mean, (laughs) it's, I, they're, these teachers are teaching me every class, you know, I think the way we word things makes it pretty obvious that like, you're welcome if you're like a super beginner and you don't know anything. Yeah. So but ge- in general, just with like friends and stuff, I think the lesson I learned, which I had been told to be fair before it happened, but it was just make sure your signal is clear and mm-hmm. don't don't mess around with anything else until you get, you know, a good crisp recording and then you can do what you want to after that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's helpful because then you it's like a a very clear thing to focus on is like just focus on getting a good signal and then you can figure the rest of it out afterwards. Right. Well, incidentally, it's the hardest thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) It has been a challenge for me as well. (laughs) As I turn my white noise machine off because the guys are finally gone from outside the window. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're all learning about sound. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So. I guess, um, are there any particular things that you're excited about coming up that you want folks to know about, things that, you know, that people can jump in on, opportunities, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think 2022, I feel like we're going to really work more on the community building aspect because um, it's what everybody loves about Omni and we're just going to keep growing that. So we actually have, like I said, the intro classes are free um, Mm -hmm. because of our sponsors. And we also are starting member mixers. Um, So like quarterly we're just having these social events, but at the beginning of the social event, we'll have one of our core faculty kind of tackle a different topic. So like mm-hmm. in January, our topic is ear training. So Lisa Kekis, our core faculty member, who's like our music production teacher, she's just going to talk a lot about the different methods you can use to for ear training. We'll go through some practice together and then that'll kind of form the conversation that we have that night is just like a social mixer. Um, and so I think that's fun. Just again, with that Priya Parker those guidelines, yeah. you know, just kind of trying to make our, our social events more like more productive in the sense that people actually form real communities, um, mm-hmm. real connections. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm super excited about signal gain again. It's, uh, it's next November, but we already have sponsors lined up who wanted, wow. you know, even from this year who want to do it again, and it's just going to keep getting bigger and better. So it's a good time to get, get in the Omni world. It's a fun place nice. to be. And how, how does one get in the Omni world? What do they do? <laughs> yeah. So our website's omnisoundproject.com. And if you go to the website, you can check out our upcoming offerings. But I also recommend joining our mailing list because I send out an email every Thursday that has not only our classes, but also other um, marginalized gender events going on in audio. But most importantly to me, I share like sponsor invitations to give them feedback on like mm. products or mm-hmm. like they'll send out surveys and be like, can you please share this with Omni? Cause they just, they know if they do, they've got all that, the, uh, those other genders flooding in, which is that's cool, really good. And then also, if you are someone who identifies as marginalized gender, you can become a member for free. And we have member only events that um, our, our intro classes and workshops are open to all genders the member events are only for marginalized genders. And that does create a little different space, which mm-hmm, is nice mm-hmm. to be in. Yeah. Cool. Um, any other ways that you want people to stay in contact with you or with Omni in general? No, we're pretty active on Instagram. Um, and yep. then we have our Discord group for members, um, which is active. But like, I'd really like to have that be even more active than it is. Yeah. I like some of the Facebook groups, but I feel like so many of us are spending less and less time on Facebook that. Yeah. And I'm personally not even on Facebook. So it's just like, I don't, I just don't ever, I'm not there. So Discord yeah. seemed like a good alternative. And we've got a, we've got a handful of folks, we've got like 60 people over there. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think you hit a critical mass with a few hundred where people are actually like having conversations. So I'd like to see more people in that group. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you very much for, for talking with me today. This yeah. has been really fun. And hopefully folks can go check out more about Omni. Yeah. Thanks so much. I really appreciate yeah. it. And congrats on your podcast. Thanks so much.
so awesome to talk to Lisa. It was, I don't know, just it's always so good to hear about different projects that folk, folks are working on that feel like they're very active and trying to make change in the industry. So hopefully you check out uh, all her info and Omnisound Projects info in the show notes. So today I, I'm going to keep it fairly short, but I do want to talk about a funny phenomenon, which is some of the interactions that I have with cis men who in early conversations are it's clear are fully prepared for me to come at them and call them sexist and racist like just out the gate or whatever they're almost like pre-apologizing for their lack of knowledge or like potentially fumbling uh that they might engage in like any fumbling that might happen and so just kind of like letting me know which is fine uh <laughs> but it's interesting like when i combine that with some other uh interactions that I have as well, which I'll talk more about in a second. So and I know that some of this is a function of my role. So people oftentimes either know me from the podcast or I've been hired to work with them to do trainings on topics of gender, race, privilege and oppression, sexual harassment, something like that. And either way, my job is basically to like lead folks to a space where they can have these conversations. Right. And I know that if I like, quote unquote, say it in a mean way, <laughs> that can happen. And so, you know, sometimes men tell me this outright, you know, like they will tell me that they're surprised at how nice I am. But oftentimes I get this feedback in like surveys uh, after <laughs> after the fact. So people write in surveys, you know, that they thought that, um, you know, prior to our work together, they had assumed I would be accusatory or mean or whatever. And yeah, I get these comments a lot. Um, and then they're like, well, you were so easy to talk to and, you know, helped us manage difficult conversations and things like that. And yes, that is that is my job. But it's interesting to me that people don't expect that to be the case, um, which is fascinating. I don't know um, if you've if we've met before or if, you know, you've listened to the podcast for a while. I think you probably come to the realization that I try to talk to people in a way that's like kind and engaging. I try to not be a jerk. That's like <laughs> a goal for me. I, I don't know. Some people I know that's not the case for me. That is uh, maybe it's because I'm from the Midwest. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, it's it's something that I'm generally striving for in my personal and work interactions both. So but I do want to also be like, I guess, crystal clear that I am not allowing folks to like get away with things, quote unquote, in my trainings. Right. I try to be very clear about what's acceptable behavior, what isn't, but I also don't think that in my particular role, coming in with like guns blazing or whatever is a helpful approach either. So, you know, in order to do this work, I there are a few like kind of potentially contradictory things that need to happen at once and it's kind of a difficult dance. So here's kind of how this works. Here are, here are, here are how these things sort of work together in this dance. So first, I you know, ideally, I shouldn't have to be nice for you to listen to me. You know, this sets at the concept of tone policing, which is when someone discounts what someone is saying because they like, quote unquote, could have been nicer, as I was saying before. And this is usually someone from an oppressed group who has this said to them. And often it's a woman of color. Um, and of course, you know, if I'm working with a group, the dynamic is slightly different, but it's important to note that. Right. Like uh, usually when someone says something in a way that isn't immediately palatable, they're saying it that way because no one has been listening to them when they did try to, you know, say it nicely, right? Um, and I'm using air quotes once again. So the next thing then is like, on the other hand, I do try to understand where folks are coming coming from, right? So we're all at different places in this journey. I've had to do a lot of work to get to where I am and I know that I'll always have further to go. 
But I also know that others are just starting and I want to work with them wherever they are. And in many cases, people's life circumstances keep them from having to have to deal with these conversations or to learn these things earlier. And, you know, should they have sought them out sooner? Yes, <laughs> that would have been great. But we can't change that now. And we have to start where folks are, right? Like you can't do anything about it at this point. Another piece of this is that, you know, people want to think of themselves as good people. And we've talked about this year before. And so, you know, like they're threatened when they think that, you know, someone is going to call them racist or sexist or otherwise bad, right? That's pretty normal. We want to see ourselves as good people. And so avoid situations where we will be told that we're bad. Um, and so, you know, alongside that, you know, the issue is that if you aren't uncomfortable, this work is not working. You know, like when you lift weights and then the next day or two you're sore, that's how you know it worked, right? And the same is the case here. If you don't challenge yourself at all in these settings and the conversations are so simplistic that you don't see a need for change, then it's just, it's not working. The problem comes when people are so threatened by the conversation that they don't, you know, that they shut down and they won't even go there at all. Uh, and my job is to help them get through that discomfort, the guilt, the shame, loss, whatever it might be, uh, and leaning into, you know, that in particular isn't productive, right? So you don't want to be too comfortable and you don't want to be so uncomfortable that you can't have the conversation. So you want to be somewhere in the middle and that's where the dance comes in. And, you know, I realized that in many ways for a mostly white cisgender company, um, you know, as a white cisgender woman who's married to a cis man, I am basically the least threatening person to potentially do this work that is pretty threatening potentially. And, I can take that on and help folks get comfortable with discomfort and having hard conversations around gender and race. And then ideally they move on and work with a person of color, trans person, for example, someone who can speak to the nuances and lived experiences of folks better because they aren't blinded by privilege in the way that I am. Um, you know, and as a, in a general rule, <laughs> as a general rule in my life, I try to engage in perspective taking, right? And I think that's really important. And I think it's really the best way to interact with other people, right? Like you should be able to like put yourself in someone else's shoes when you're interacting with them. And I do this with white cis het men when I interact with them too. And that's, you know, part of that work is like understanding where folks are coming from. But in my personal life, I will do this so far, only so far, um, if I or other people are treated unfairly, right? Like that's, that's part of it. But I guess, you know, to the cis men out there, <laughs> related to all this, it would be awesome if you could also engage in perspective taking and thank you if you are. Um, if folks are constantly thinking about and attending to your lived experiences and you aren't thinking about theirs, that puts a lot of work on them, especially in like a white cis hetero patriarchy where that arrangement is expected. And, you know, <laughs> this is also an a, like emotional intelligence skill that will benefit you in your work life and in your personal life too. And the effort you put in will come back to you. And it's also the right thing to do. So it's <laughs> it benefits you in a number of ways. And, you know, you, you can learn about others through conversations, movies, books, podcasts, you know, get uncomfortable and be okay with being challenged by folks who are different from you. All right. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts so more folks can hear about it. And feel free to share feedback or ideas with me. My contact info is on the show notes. And uh, yeah, have a, have a great new year. Thanks so much for listening.